Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are continuing in a series that we, we just began last week called The Book of Acts. And I'm super excited about this series. This is a series that I'm very passionate about. I had a lot of fun with last week. And so series we're going to take our time with. We're going to be in this series for quite some time. Um, but it's going to hit so many different things that are applicable both to your life, to your belief systems, and just how we're supposed to operate as a member of this living, breathing organism known as the Church of Jesus Christ. And so in this book, we're going to be talking about the history of the church. We're going to be talking about the current function of the church, the part that we play in the church. We're going to talk about this one movement that changed the world and is still changing the world today. So I'm excited about this series. And of course, last week, if you weren't here, I encourage you, if there's no other message that you listen to in this series to help you get an understanding of the book of Acts, it was last week. So I encourage you, go back and listen to last week's message. If you weren't here, or if somehow you missed it, we really kind of lay a, a backdrop, the ground rules, if you will, of the book of Acts so you can understand who it was written to, who it was written by, what it was trying to communicate, all of those different things. And so just to catch you up a little bit, last week we talked about how the book of Acts was written by a man named Luke. Everybody say Luke. And this man Luke was the same Luke that wrote the gospel of Luke or the book of Luke. And he wrote this to a man named Theophilus. A man named Theophilus, and there's, again, of course, many speculations as to why he wrote the book to Theophilus, but this book, the book of Acts, is actually volume two. It's part two of the book of Luke. It's like the, how many of y'all remember the Encyclopedia Britannica back in the day? How many of our kids know nothing about that? They go to Google for everything. We used to have to go to a row of books that cost nine million and a half dollars and find it. I remember the Encyclopedia Britannica. Anyway, don't get me off on that tangent, but that they had volumes in that book, in, in the Encyclopedia Britannica. And so this is volume two from the book of Luke, written by Luke. Now, even the graphic on the screen, you'll see it kind of looks like a comic book. And we did that on purpose because the book of Acts is almost like it's written about superheroes. These were men. It's almost like a superhero book, like a comic book, because the great stories and the things that you're going to hear from the book of Acts are supernatural. They're powerful. They're incredible. And in a moment, we're going to see why it was written like that. We're going to see why these men did what they did and how they did what they did. So I'm super excited to dive into this morning's message. This, this was an amazing time in the church. This was a glorious time in the church that was full of God's power. So let's dive right into this. And of course, last week we let off, um, we ended where Jesus ascended into heaven and he gave his disciples this mission. He gave them this mission to go into all of the world and to preach the gospel. 
And the first place he told them to go was Jerusalem. Let's go right to Acts chapter 1, verse 12. This is where we left off last week. It says, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew. How many of you are glad your name is not Bartholomew? Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and and Judas, son of James. Now I want you to see something very important, but so minute. The Bible says that they returned to Jerusalem. Now, last week we talked about this. Jesus told them, go to Jerusalem, right? Judea, Samaria, and to the the ends of the earth. But you have to understand the context of what he was asking them to do. He was telling them to go back into a city that just killed him. See, Jerusalem was a dangerous place for them. Jerusalem was not like, just go back to this friendly place that's comfortable. Jesus said, I want you to go right back to the people that just killed me. And I want you to tell them about me. And tell them that I'm a risen Savior. That's a big deal. That took courage. That took boldness. And he's telling this to a group of men that just ran away from him in his moment of need. He told this specifically to a man named Peter who just denied even knowing him. Yet they obeyed and they went back. And so we're going to dive into this. There were only 11 apostles though. You see the name Judas on this list. There were two different Judases that followed Jesus. There was this Judas, the son of James, and then there was the other Judas, Judas Iscariot, who actually turn Jesus over and he's the one that took the 30 pieces of silver turned Jesus over and then out of guilt and out of shame ended his own life so there were 12 apostles Judas Iscariot being one of them and that Judas ended up taking his own life once he once he of course turned Jesus over and so that left only 11 disciples and I mean excuse me 11 apostles and so with that there's The other apostles found themselves in a little bit of a dilemma. So they were trying to figure out, what are we supposed to do? There's always been 12 of us. So Peter stands up and he has this great idea. As Peter often does. And we'll get to that in a moment. But, But verse 14, this is what it says. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus several other women and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Now, a couple things before we dive into what Peter said. Number one, I want you to see this. This is the last place in all of the New Testament that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned. This is the last place. And so... What am I saying when I say that? This is not, Mary is to be honored as the mother of Jesus. The Bible says that. The Bible says that Mary is, she's blessed among women. In other words, there's probably never a a more important woman in all of history than Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
That is true and that is biblical. However, Mary was not a deity and Mary is not to be worshiped. Mary doesn't intercede for us. The Bible never says that. Jesus makes intercession for us. How many of you know if Jesus is interceding for us, that's good enough? Just for clarity's sake. Just for clarity's sake. And so this is the last place that we see the mother of our Lord even mentioned in the Bible. And so after this, we also see that there are many crowds of people that at one time followed Jesus. Jesus multiplied fish and loaves, right, for 5,000 men alone. The Bible says not counting women and children. And so there's probably 10 to 15,000 people there listening to Jesus in one sermon. Yet after he was killed and rose again from the dead, that number was whittled down to 120 people in a small room. That's what was left of the church. 120 people. Now, this number is significant. I won't get into all of this right now, but that number is significant because in Jewish law, in order for you to begin a new community and have a council, if you will, like a new city or a new community, whatever, you had to have at least 120 people present. And the Bible gives us this very small detail that 120 people were present. Now, why, what was God saying? He was getting ready to launch and start something far more important than the community, This was getting ready to be the birthday of the church. And this is important. And so in verses 16 through 26, something significant happens that leads us to what we're talking about. The apostle Peter stands up and he declares this in verse 16. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, Judas Iscariot, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. So Peter goes on, and we're not going to read it for the sake of time, but Peter goes on to say we need to replace Judas. There were 12 of us. And in Jewish culture, there, was, there were 12 tribes of Israel that these apostles were supposed to judge. And so Peter says, hey, we need to replace Judas since he turned his back on us. He betrayed us. He betrayed the Lord. So let's, let's fill his spot. But of course, they didn't just want to pick somebody to be one of the apostles of Jesus. They needed to pick someone who had been with Jesus since the beginning of his ministry. And of course, they wanted God's plan, God's pick, God's will. So they did something. They cast lots. Everybody say cast lots. So they nominated two men. They nominated a man named Joseph who was called Barsabbas and a man named Matthias. So you have Joseph and Matthias and they're like, well, which one are we going to pick? Let's roll some dice. Don't act holy. Y'all used to shoot craps. Some of y'all acting like, I don't know what that is. I got some police officers in here, right, Marshall? You can point out some of them, some of the ones in here. So they're like, we're going we're gonna to cast lots. We're going to roll dice. We're going we're gonna, to, this is a game of chance here. That's the way it seems. 
But in actuality, even in the Old Testament, they would cast lots when they were trying to determine what God's will was. But here's something that I, I personally believe about this, this story, this scenario. I believe they were limiting God a little bit. Because they were saying, we have to have somebody that's been with us in their minds. And they said, well, we're going to, one of these two guys, because these guys are great. So they bring them forward and they say, well, God, you have to pick between one of these two. So let's cast lots, let's roll dice to decide who you want. That's, that's limiting God, in my opinion, by saying, God, you have to pick from one of these two. Now, men, I don't know about y'all, but I do this. I wake up in the morning, and I did it this morning. I was like, baby, what do I wear? <laughs> Smart. If you ever see me and go, man, Pastor Gabe looks sharp this morning. I didn't pick it. <laughs> she picked it. And it's like I, I will bring my two shirts and go, baby, what shirt do I wear? How I many you know sometimes she goes, Neither. You're wearing that. It's kind of like what's happening. It's like having a world-class person who's going to style you, and you bring them two shirts and go, which one? When they're the creator of the clothing line, that's what these men did. They said, well, God, which one of these two guys? And they cast lots. They rolled dice to see which one. And they ended up landing on one of these men, and that's what they did. They picked this guy, they picked Matthias, and they made him an apostle. Now, I want you to see something here. That is the last time in the Bible that we see casting lots. And here's why. They rolled a game of chance to try to figure out what God's will. But God, God was getting ready to give them his spirit to confirm what his will was. God was getting ready to take his spirit and pour it out inside of them. So there was no more need for a game of chance. Because God was getting ready to confirm by the Holy Spirit. He would confirm by his spirit what his plan is, what his will was. So we need to stop depending on the game of chance for life. We need to be led by his spirit. God wants us to, be, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, to listen to the promptings of the spirit because that's where his will is. And he'll confirm it in other people. But a lot of times he will confirm what he's already spoken to you. Some of you, when you get ready to read your Bible, you just Russian roulette it. You just, that. Judas hung himself. Okay, God, that's not for today. Let's keep going. Acts 2. So we're, we're closing the chapter 1. We're closing the Bible ends chapter 1 and moves on to chapter 2. Now, how many of you know that just, just for clarity's sake, there were no original chapters when the Bible was written. When the book of Acts was written, it wasn't written in chapters. Paul wasn't going verse 3 in Galatians. Luke wasn't going verse 2, chapter 1. He just wrote a book. And so that's how the Bible's written. So we're going to chapter two, but in actuality, there were no chapters. So chapter two, verse one says this, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. 
Another translation says they were in one accord. Shout out to Honda. (laughs) That's called a cheesy church joke, just so you know. Every time you ever hear this message preached, that joke will be made in America, just so you know. All right. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Many of us know about the word Pentecost and we even know about the denomination Pentecostal, right? But let me tell you what the word Pentecost means. It means 50th, 50th, not 50 cent, 50th. Why is it called 50th? Because we, we've talked about this before. We talked about the Passover, right? We talked a lot about the Passover at our Good Friday service and even on Easter Sunday. We talked about all of that, man. It was a festival that God himself set up for the Israelites, for the people, for the Jewish people to celebrate when death passed over those who had the blood on the doorpost, right? In the Old Testament, remember that, when God got the children of Israel out of out of Egypt. And so that was the Passover celebration. Now, after that, 50 days after the Passover feast was known, what was called as the Festival of Weeks. The Festival of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost because it was 50 days after the Passover. And so this was a festival, a feast, if you will, that God set up. It was a festival God set up in the Old Testament when the Jewish people would come together to celebrate the harvest, the harvest. They would bring the first fruits of the wheat from their harvest and they would give special sacrifices to God. They had this this celebration. And again, God instituted in the Old Testament that 50 days after the Passover, they would go out and these were, this was a, a, agricultural societies, right? So they, they were they had harvesting wheat and they had their animals and they, this was the type of society that they had. They were a farming society. And God said, on the 50th day, you bring the first fruits. One of the reasons why we talk about tithing and offering and all this stuff, we believe in bringing the first fruits to God. God said, they bring the, I want you to bring your first fruits to me as a celebration for this harvest that I've just given you. So that's the background, that's what was going on. So these Jewish people were coming together for Pentecost. Pentecost was not a Christian thing to them. Pentecost was a celebration of a Jewish festival for them. And so all of these Jewish people from all over the world are there right now for this, for this moment, for this festival. And then this happens in chapter two, verse two. Suddenly, There was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Or the ESV version says it this way, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what's happening here? What's going on? I'll tell you what happened. What Jesus promised his followers is happening. 
The thing that he promised them would happen is happening right before their eyes. And this is what Jesus said, going back to Acts 1 just for a moment, verses 4 and 5, he says this, and while, while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, everybody say baptized, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I can nerd out on some of that stuff because I, I, re- I love history. I love the history of the Bible and what some of those things mean. But Jesus is saying, in a very short time, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it didn't take much time for them to have this moment with God. There's places in the Bible where God says the Holy Spirit will be with you. There are those moments when God says the Holy Spirit will be with you. There's places in the Bible where Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be in you. Will be in you. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people, but then would depart from them. And then Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. But here we see something even beyond that. Jesus says he will baptize you with or in the Holy Spirit. See, what was happening? God was pouring his spirit out. And that word baptize, you've heard us talk about this before whenever we do our baptism services. The word baptize is is the word baptizo, which means to submerge or immerse. So God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit and baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to submerge you, immerse you by pouring it out. I want you to see something for a moment because I think a lot of times we get confused about what was happening here. I want you to imagine with me for a moment, this is you. Can everybody see this? This is you. And this is the Holy Spirit. And God says, I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to submerge you. But then the Bible also says that the Holy Spirit was poured out. So which one is it? Is it being poured out or is it being immersed? See, you can have, when you, when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lives in you. I want you to see this. The Holy Spirit lives in you and he'll even fill you. But what we're talking about is something separate. This is a separate experience that God gives to his people where he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. See, when he fills you, a lot of times that's for you. But when he baptizes you, you overflow into everyone around you. Does that make sense? How many of y'all are thirsty right now? Just That's what that means. He's pouring his spirit out and you are now overflowing with the Holy Spirit to everyone and everything around you. That's what happened in this moment. He was baptizing them, submerging them and pouring his spirit out on them. And he was beginning, I'm gonna tell you in detail what happened in this moment. So the goal of this was not and is not for us to have a cool church experience. Let me say that again. The goal of this was not just for them to have a cool church experience. 
Jesus promised his followers the power that they needed to go in to be his witnesses. He was saying, I'm going to give you all that you need. I'm going to give you the boldness. I'm going to give you the courage. I'm going to give you the power to go out and to be my witnesses to all of the world so that they could change the world. There was a purpose behind this power. There was a purpose behind it. This is the power that I need and the power that you need to be a witness for Jesus. Jesus told his disciples in the gospels that he was gonna send them a helper. And that Jesus even went as far as to say, listen, it's better for y'all that I'm going away because I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was with them, but he was sending the Holy Spirit to live in them and to overflow out of them. Man, I hope y'all are seeing this. Don't miss this. And what is happening right now is the that. The this is that, that's what's happening right now. The thing that he promised, that's what this is. The thing that even in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel, and we'll get to this next week, the prophet Joel talked about this saying, God was going to pour out his spirit to all flesh. Your young men, your old, your young women, your old men, your young, your older women, your maid servants, all of these different things, all of these different people who did not have the ability to have this infilling of the Holy Spirit, God was going to pour out. He said that hundreds of years in the book of Joel, and this is that moment that's what was happening so I want you to see three things that took place three supernatural things that took place and I'm gonna go quickly through this but if you're taking notes write this down number one they heard a mighty wind they heard a mighty wind the Bible says a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm now what's really interesting about this is that that word wind is the same word as the word spirit. Wind, breath, spirit was all the same word. It was the word pneuma, pneuma. Word, breath, wind, spirit, all the same thing. So it's almost as if God is breathing on this moment. The breath of God is coming and filling this house where they were. And this was a supernatural thing because it filled the whole house and they heard the wind. So that's the first supernatural thing that happened. The second supernatural thing that happened is this. They saw flames or tongues of fire. They physically saw this, like flames on top. How many of you would be a little weirded out if you came to church and the person next to you had a flame sitting on top of their head? And it's like, what's up, good morning. Sitting on top of their head. This is how God operates. This is how God works. God is a supernatural God. And oftentimes in the Bible, God was linked to fire. How do I know that? Remember when Moses talked to God, what was, God, what was Moses talking to? A burning bush that didn't burn up. The third supernatural thing that happened is this. They spoke in other tongues. They spoke in other tongues. This is absolutely amazing. Now, this is the only place in the New Testament that all three of those things occurred. Nowhere else in the, in the New Testament did we hear the wind coming in. Nowhere else in the New Testament did we see 
tongues of fire sitting on top of people's heads. But this is not the last place in the New Testament that we see people speaking in an unknown tongue. Now, it's significant. I know some of y'all who have studied all this stuff are like, well, was it an unknown tongue? We'll talk about all of that in a moment. Because it was understood. But there's other places like in 1 Corinthians 14 where there's an unknown, no one knows, it's an angelic language that you're speaking mysteries to God. This was a supernatural thing that God was doing. And most of us get so caught up in this. There are literally hard dividing lines within churches based on this one thing that God himself did. Well, I don't believe that's from God. Then why did God do it? And I want you to hear me say something as a pastor. Most of you, if you're new to our church and you're wondering like, what do y'all believe in all this? We very much believe in praying in, in tongues. And I hope that does not weird you out, but if it does, we, it's in the Bible. Then the Bible weirds you out. I pray in tongues every day of my life. Every day I pray in tongues over my children before I put them to bed at night. So that, I want that to be so natural and normal to them because it's something from the Bible. Now, what you won't see is us getting on stage doing weird stuff and praying in tongues. Because I believe in it being decent and in order like the Bible talks about. Me, get, me standing up on stage and praying in tongues out loud for all of you does not help you. There's an order to how this is supposed to happen. See, your, your part, you're an, an anomaly, if you will, in churches. Because there's people who look at us as a church and think, y'all are crazy because you believe in this stuff. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit, from the gifts of prophecy, word of wisdom, miraculous healings. I believe God can do miracles and he can do them through the gifts he's given his people. I believe that. Seen it happen. We operated in here in our church. All of those things are for today. And so there's people who will look at you and think, y'all are weird. But then there's also going into other extreme. There's people who think, because I'm not doing cartwheels and we don't have chandeliers for you to hang from, that we're a dead church. Y'all are dead. How come nobody's running around? Because that's weird. That's why. Listen, when you're at home and you're in your own prayer closet, I do some weird stuff in my own prayer time with God. It's just me and God. But that does not mean that that's something that benefits you. If I jump off of this stage and I start running around here, y'all are going to leave. And you probably should. Decent and in order. Well, the Spirit led me to do that. The Holy Spirit also operates in order. He operates in order. So there's a balance. So I believe in praying in tongues. I do it daily, every day of my life. It's a gift that God has given me through the, and in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then also, I also believe there is a public expression, and this needs to be explained because a lot of times it's not. There's a public expression of the gift of tongues. There is. It's not supposed to be done in public. That's not what the Bible says. It never says that. 
it, there, you can pray in tongues in public if there is someone there to interpret that tongue. The Bible says that. And I will get more into this as we dive into this book. I'm telling you, this is going to be a really good book to explain the supernatural side of who God is. But you can if there's an interpreter. Why? Because if there's an interpreter to that tongue, this is a heavenly language you're praying between you and God, right? But there's times where God will release that because he wants someone to interpret that like a prophecy to the body. A couple weeks ago, some of y'all were here when I had an opportunity and I got to prophesy over a young couple here in our church from the stage. That's, That's biblical. That's there to encourage the body, encourage the church. We'll bring in Pastor Jim LaFoon from time to time, and he'll call up many of you and just begin to prophesy over you. Well, when you have an interpreter of that tongue, interpreter of the gift that's given to the body, that person can prophesy what God is saying through that tongue. I don't understand. That's good. Just stick around. Just stick around. We'll explain it more to that. But just know, we're not going to be doing cartwheels. There's no snakes. We're not going to give you Kool-Aid. None of that. Here's the thing I want to say about that. There's, There's extremes to this analogy, but nonetheless, for the most part, it's true. If it's just Bible, 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 you get a lot of knowledge and you dry up. But if it's spirit, 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 you get prideful and you get puffed up. How many know we need both? We need both. Some of y'all don't agree with that, but it's true. You need both. Because what happens is you get so spirit-led and floaty and... And you need somebody to say, I don't care if you think God told you to leave your spouse. He didn't say that because it's not in the Bible. Right? It's not your place to come up and tell somebody God told you who they're supposed to marry. It's not God. It's not God. Can I dig in y'all's businesses for a little while? For my floaty people? If what you have to say cannot be fully grounded in the Bible, don't listen to it. Don't trust it. But then for my other people who are word, 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 I don't believe in the spirit, how is your prayer life? When's the last time you heard the Holy Spirit speak to you? Are you reading the Bible so you can prove somebody else wrong? Or are you reading the Bible so God himself can speak to you? Balance, balance. So let's keep going. Acts chapter two, verse five. What is happening here? Verse five, at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. That's important. Remember that. We're gonna come back to that. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. I bet they did. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Wait a minute. There's people from all over the world and as these 120 people we believe were there praying in, speaking in this tongue, they were actually speaking in the languages of those people. 
And they all heard it. Now, some people say, and I get it, I kind of understand it. Some people say they were each speaking in an individual language. Well, here's the thing. That probably would have been very confusing. These people were interpreting what was being said in their own language. Because there were so many different nations represented there. And then it goes on to say this. They were completely amazed This is so good. How can this be, they explained. These people are from Galilee. Now, let me tell you what this means. They were from Galilee. The Galilean people, they were the uneducated people. They were the people who had that thick, thick, thick Cajun accent. Like, y'all know what I mean. Like, some of y'all are like the refined Youngsville Cajuns. These were like... They're from Potage, Cajuns. These are Erath Cajuns, right? So they got that thick, thick, thick Cajun accent, right? They look down upon, they're like, you're not the educated, refined people. How is it that you are speaking to us in our own language? If you're from Erath, please forgive me. But you understand it. They're saying, how is it that these uneducated people are talking to us, not only in our own language, another, another translation says, but in our own dialect. They're speaking so clearly the mysteries of God and praising God in our own dialect. Verse eight, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the the province of Asia, Phrygia, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans, which how many of y'all remember from the book of Titus, the island of Crete, the Cretans were there, and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Verse 13. But others in the crowd ridiculed them. There's always somebody in the crowd saying they're just drunk. That's all. We're going to get to next week with Peter said and how he replied to that but before I close I want you to see three things that God did what was God doing when this pouring out of his spirit happened number one it was a symbol of God gathering the nations it was a symbol of God gathering the nations why is that important because in Genesis chapter 11 Many of you all remember the Tower of Babel where man was unified, but they were unified against God. And they built this tower so that they could make their name great, their name significant. And God stepped in and confused them and they all began to speak in different languages. So God stepped in and divided. I thought God was a God of unity. He is when it's for him he will gladly divide those who are against him. It's important for you to know. 
So God, in that moment in Genesis 11, divides mankind. That's where different languages came from, from that moment. But yet here we see on this important date, celebrating a festival of harvest. How many know God knows exactly what he's doing? God shows them a sign. He brings the nations of the world to them to show them as I'm launching my church, I'm sending you to reap a harvest in all the nations of the world. In all the nations of the world, I'm sending you to reap my people from the nations. It's the first thing God did. And again, the creativity of God, he does it during the festival of harvest. Number two, God filled them with power for the mission. God filled them with power for the mission. Again, being filled with the Holy Spirit or if you grew up Pentecostal, the Holy Ghost, it's not just for you to have a great, cool experience. There is that. And I have a personal prayer language with God that I have. But God fills us with his Holy Spirit so that we can accomplish the mission that he has given us. And that's what we see here. Verse Chapter one, again, going back to what Jesus promised in verse eight, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was no longer an Israel thing. I am sending you with my power to the world. And here we are, thousands of miles away, reading this, born again, saved by the blood of Jesus, because God poured his spirit out on 120 people 2,000 years ago in a remote place in Israel. His power works. His power works. And on top of that, his power transformed them to the point where there was mir- we're going to read about the miracles in this book. And this is, again, it's going to be such a fun book to dive into. But just this illustration alone, the life of Peter. I mentioned Peter earlier. Just weeks before this, weeks, Peter was denying even knowing Jesus. Yet next week, we're going to unpack him standing in front of the very people who say kill Jesus and preaching the very first gospel message in the Bible boldly. Why? Because he was filled with the power of God. And thirdly and lastly, we see the birth of the church. This is the birthday of the church. What was God doing in this moment? He was saying, this new organism, this body. I hate calling it an, an organization, but it's, an, it's a living, breathing organism. This people, I'm calling this people to myself. Here is the birthday of the church. And for the rest of this book, we're going to see how God set the stage for this ragtag group of people to go out and to change the world. So pastor, what do you want me to take from this? Why did I come in today? This is what I want you to take from this. If you're taking notes, write this down and I'm closing. You need and can have 
God's spirit in your life to be a witness for him. For those of you who say, that witnessing is not really my thing, you don't understand the Bible. I'm not really called to that. If you're a follower of his, you are called to that. And just because you don't feel like you have what it takes to do it, all that means is that you need his power to fill you to do it. We are all called to be his witnesses. But we all need his power to do it. And there's many of you in here who are filled with the spirit of God and you live in a life of overflow. And there are times when you need to be refilled. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit once but you're continuously refilled by the Holy Spirit. That cup that never runs dry. He's always pouring if you'll let him. And for some of us, you need to be refilled. But for some of you, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm not telling you that so that we can have some, some weird church experience. I'm telling you that because it's what you need. And if God says you can have it, why not want it? If God said, I'm going to give it to you, if you ask me for it, I'll give it. So, Pastor, how do I receive that? How do I receive that baptism in the Holy Spirit? How do I receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Number one, by surrendering to God. And I'm going to come right back to this. Surrendering to God. See, the question is not, do you have God? The question is, does God have you? It's not I got a little bit of Jesus in my life. I got God in my life. That's not how God operates. When God steps in, he he takes over. When he enters into a situation, he does not enter in to be second fiddle. When he steps in, he's always in charge. Question is not, do you have God? Does God have you? Because God will pour himself into a vessel that belongs to him. The second thing is very simple. Just ask. Just ask. You don't earn the Holy Spirit. It's not like you have to say X amount of prayers and God's going, okay, you hit this marker and now we're going to give you a raise. It's not how it works. Jesus said, if you ask, I'll give it. Because my Father knows how to give good gifts to those who ask. He knows how to do that. So simply ask. So I'm going to ask you this morning as we close two questions. The first one is this, going back to this, do you need to ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit? Because if you do, in a moment, we're going to sing a worship song. We're not going to have anybody come forward. I'm not going to come through and start laying hands on people. I'm going to simply ask you that while we worship, if you say, I want to be filled with God's Spirit, I want you to ask him. Right there where you're at, standing in worship, when we do worship, just ask him, God, I want that power to be a witness for you. I want to be not only filled, but baptized, overflowing in the Holy Spirit.